March has arrived, and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action, and with multiple entries available, it's the season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong as well, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure you use that promo code Blue Wire. That's all one word. That's Blue Wire for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein, and the first part of the draft process is complete. The NFL Combine, over. Prospects are heading back to their homes or training facilities to get ready for the next phase. Pro days, private workouts, and visits, which will get underway this month. Meanwhile, teams are heading back home to their home bases to start solidifying their free agency plans and move around their draft boards a little bit. Remember, we discussed free agency a couple shows ago that much of the base of what we'll see in March gets going in the restaurants, bars, and hallways of Indianapolis for the crush of free agency to come in two weeks. We've also got a guest on today's show, former Lions and Seahawks receiver Chris Durham. Chris joined the show from Parma, Italy last week where he's been helping out as an assistant coach for the Parma Panthers, a team playing American football in Italy that Durham actually finished his career with. I wrote about that a couple of years ago. We chat a lot in the show about his time in Italy then and now, how the coronavirus has actually affected sports there as Italy is dealing with an outbreak what his NFL career was like, his close friendship with Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford, and what he thinks of Stafford's future in Detroit. Just to prep you as you listen, our connection was strong for a large part of the interview, but there will be spots where it was a little choppy because of the U.S. to Italy connection, so please take that into consideration. But before we get to Durham, just a couple of closing thoughts on one part of the Combine its location, and then we'll also get to a couple of your topics post-interview. While I wasn't in Indianapolis this year, I want to throw out an explanation of why the city works so well for the Combine and why the NFL should not move it in search of potentially brighter lights in Vegas or L.A. When you're bringing together a league from across the country and prospects that literally live and train almost anywhere, having a central location is critical. Everyone from both coasts in north and south has a similar distance to travel, in theory. 
everything is connected in a compact downtown area and the combine legitimately takes over the downtown part of the city. It's like a mini NFL civilization for an entire week. The hospital for medical testing is close by. All the hotels, for the most part, are connected largely through internal walkways. It's an easy in, easy out type of city by air and by car and very little traffic to speak of. And for scouts and teams who are trying to gain information on these players, which is supposed to be the purpose of all of this, it's quite enough that distractions aren't too bad. Now, consider if this moved to Vegas or L.A. Teams from the East Coast would have much longer trips. Same with prospects on the East Coast who are going for the job interview of a lifetime. While Vegas can be compact, it's not quite the walking distance world Indianapolis is where you don't need a car for your entire visit once you reach downtown. LA would be a potential nightmare depending on hotel space, traffic, where everything is located, and it's one of the country's most hectic airports. It would also make meetings for teams and agents much more difficult because those can happen on the fly and happen in 10-minute increments where you can just walk everywhere versus having to get in a car. There's a reason cities like Mobile and Indianapolis work so well for these types of events, and they are the two main off-season scouting spots of the year. They're similar places in that their main downtowns are compact where everything can happen in a few block radius. And when you're there for five days, working or networking for 16 to 18 hours of those days, being compact does make a difference. I don't think it's a coincidence either that when you look at, say, the NBA's combine, it's in Chicago every year, another city that has really good mass transit and is pretty central to get around. So here's hoping the NFL keeps the combine in Indianapolis for the long haul. It's just an easier, more equitable deal for everyone involved. And we'll be right back after this short break with tonight's guest, Chris Durham. My guest on this week's show is former Georgia, Detroit Lions, and Seattle Seahawks receiver, Chris Durham. Durham played for a couple of years in Detroit. And then after his NFL career was over, he went over to Italy and played for Parma. And I wrote about that story, I guess it was a year or two ago. And Chris is back in Parma now and he's joining us on the Michael Rothstein show. Chris, how are you doing, man? You know, man, I can't complain. Uh, just enjoying my time back over here in Italy right now, just helping coach and uh, promote the game of football. You know, it's it's a it's a win win for me. So, all right, let's start there. You're back in Italy and you're coaching. Like, how does this happen that you go back after you retire? Like, was this always going to be the plan, or or what? Well, you know, it was kind of a crazy situation i have always since i even finished playing over here i've always helped recruit the different american players come over you know whether they're finishing up uh you know an nfl career um one guy that we had this year played in the uh the af before it folded last year and so you know i helped the help recruit these guys over to the team and you know i decided hey you know, when I have the the right amount of time, I want to come over and just, you know, help promote the team because our head coach from the past 13 years, Andrew Popocha, actually moved back to uh, back stateside. He's originally from the Chicago area and him and his wife decided to go back to uh, go back home. So we were left without a coach 
And so we have a, a guy named Brad Miller, who's an American. He's kind of leading the way for us this year. And uh, he asked me if I would, you know, help him in any capacity. So I'm kind of his, uh, his assistant, so to speak. You didn't want to be head coach Chris Durham? Was that an option? Um, you know, that was kind of talked about, but I can't dedicate being over here the entire season because I have to go back and forth a little bit. So, you know, I didn't think it was fair to the guys or to Brad or to any anyone else to not be there full time and not be able to, you know, help and be, be there when I needed to be. So, you know, I, I decided to help in any capacity that I could. And right now that obligation is uh, going to Brad Miller and then our offensive coordinators, a young young guy named uh, James Price. James actually played receiver at Wyoming and then was at IMG Academy this past year. He's kind of uh, leading the offense. So, okay, so go, I want to go back to what you described as your kind of role with this team. So you're kind of an American recruiter. How do you go about doing that? Do you actually go out and scout guys? Do you just kind of talk to the people you know? How, how does that work? It's a crazy thing. Um, so... We have a few guys, obviously the sport's really big across our team. So, you know, they'll watch college games, they'll watch the AF, they'll watch NFL. And you just kind of pick and choose, you know, guys that you think may be a good fit and you contact you contact them via either social media, an agent, um, Facebook, you, you know, maybe get a telephone number somehow, maybe a former teammate of a player that's been over here. You just try to get in contact any way possible and then uh, hopefully you get a response and you just start the conversation from there and it's that's how that's what it leads up to um, you know our guys this year we have Mitchell Breeze who was a safety at Illinois State and then we have um, then we have a former Oklahoma State safety in Jordan Stearns um, Jordan played in the AAF and then now is with us was that a hard I mean that's, I mean, you you obviously went from the NFL to playing football in Italy, but the NFL mm -hmm. to the AAF to Italy, see, like that seems like a pretty interesting career arc. Do you talk? Did you have to really talk to him a bit about like what you did, and do you mostly yeah. kind of share your experience? Is that how that goes, or? Well, Jordan was actually I I kind of led the entire way. Sometimes the guys like. Mitch actually played at Illinois State, which is where our former coach, Andrew Popocha, went to college. So they had a similarity in that aspect. So Andrew really helped out before he left, kind of leading the conversation with Mitch before he kind of passed him off to myself and then the guy that's playing quarterback for us um, for the past few years, Riley Hennessy. Um, but as far as Jordan, I led the charge on him. I uh, messaged him via Instagram. Um, I'd seen him play a few times, watched some film on him and thought that he could be a good fit and wanted to know what his plans were. And so we talked and he's a Renaissance man. He's very intellectual, very artistic. And so I was like, you know, what better way to, you know, spend your time while you're making this transition out of football than still playing a game you love and spending time in a place with history and art and architecture and everything that you could possibly imagine in that realm, um, you know, with, within Italy and within Parma in particular. So that conversation was actually very, is more about the life than it was about football for him. Do you do a lot of research into guys when you're starting to scout them? Not necessarily football. 
because obviously you know that, but like you said, you found out he was into the arts and mm-hmm. do you kind he of does, look for those things when you're trying to talk to guys? Uh, it depends. Um, <clears throat> in particular, I usually just kind of pay attention to the film at first, and then you try to find like any, any job, any interview, you want to find someone who you fit with them and they also fit with, I mean, you know, you may think they are, but they're not, but then you might think a guy that may not be interested, he might be. Um, and you just have to approach it with an open mind and you have to find a guy that approaches this particular experience with an open mind. He, uh, you know, Jordan in particular, he, you know, he actually is considered actually going to uh, the university here in Parma and finishing up his degree and everything else. He's loving life over here. He's taking Italian lessons and he's doing everything that, you know, he possibly could just to kind of fit into the culture and learn all about it. So like you said, you're an assistant for them now. Are you out there actually running routes? Are you kind of still, (laughs) are you still kind of getting involved with it or are you completely out now? Well, I am completely out. I'll tell you this much. I actually, about two weeks ago before I headed over, before I came over here to uh, Italy, I went down to Bradenton to the IMG Academy with the International Pathway Program. The, um, do you know much about them? The NFL's well, what, International Pathway? Oh, yeah, the, the, that's the program that pretty much puts like practice squad players on teams, yep. right? Okay. Exactly. Um, so... I got, when I was working at the league office for a little while, I got to know Will Bryce, who kind of uh, heads that program. And before I left, you know, I knew a lot of the guys, especially the European guys that were coming over. I knew who they were just from my general interest in the sport and the growth of the sport and also, especially in the European markets. Um, Got to know him. So I went down there and helped out with with that before I came over here and I when I was on the field I was like man I miss it a little bit but then I got in there and did some of the combine workouts and realized that no I don't quite miss it as much as I thought I did well fast forward to today and um, because of all of the health scares and people can't travel we have a few guys that are outside well they can't travel because the trains and the you know different situations that's coming around with that um so we were pretty light at practice and well, we only had five receivers and one guy plays defense. Well, our, one of the receivers went down, the other guy was on defense. So I actually had to step in there and run routes. And it's the first time in about mm, 20 months since I've tried to run and sprint and run a route. So it's probably, uh, probably gonna be sore in the morning. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you like walking okay right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I took it, I took it a little easy, but, uh, yeah, I had to get out there. I grabbed uh, grabbed a guy's helmet and just went out there and tried to fill in when where I was needed. You're not going to make a comeback for the rest of the season, are you? Oh no, 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 no. My my uh, my downs have been limited to zero for the season. I am going to be on the uh, the sidelines, just trying to help coach and get these guys ready for their games. You mentioned obviously some of the health health scares i'm assuming you're referencing coronavirus has that impact has that impacted both kind of how italian football is playing this year since a lot of imports come from america and and what's that been like well i'll tell you this much when i arrived on friday morning i actually had to go through a health screening at the airport they had to do temperature and everything else before i was even let into customs um so it's been quite 
a big event over here over the weekend. Um, just in the town that I'm in, I think they have two or three cases. And then a few of the towns north of here, there's been quite a few, quite a number. I mean, the majority of the, uh, the cases of the coronavirus is in the northern part of the country, which is where I'm at. So trains have been shut down. There's not even a train. Milan's about an hour train ride away. Um, my girlfriend actually works in Milan and commutes every day and she's not even able to go to work because the trains are not running. And I actually had to, uh, go pick her up last night, uh, because the train from Milan back to Parma was not canceled. So I had to drive up to the city to, uh, to pick her up before she could, uh, so she could get back home. Wow. So, I mean, what's it, what's the atmosphere like in Italy right now? Uh, it's. You know, it's it's a little bit more calm, I guess. Like, there's not as many people in the streets. Like, their supermarkets are completely out of, like, bread and pasta and some of the stuff like that. They're having to restock. Um, the public transportation is obviously down and canceled and routes are canceled. Schools are suspended, universities and normal schools, like high school, stuff like that. They're all out for the rest of the week um, right now. So. It's, um, they're taking it really seriously. Was there thought of actually postponing stuff with the football league? Um, so we, we had to get special permission from the hospital to have practice. So we were supposed to not have practice this week, but, uh, we were able to, um, get in touch with our, I guess, kind of our team physician and, get a uh, kind of a special ordinance of some sort. There's no one else allowed outside of the team and the coaches was not allowed to be there. Granted, no one really comes to watch practice or anything anyways, but um, there was no other like, you know, even soccer matches or tennis or, you know, rugby's pretty big over here. Nothing else is allowed to go on. It was kind of, we were the only people in the entire like complex where we were practicing at. Um, and our first game right now is still likely to be suspended next week. So we play um, a week from Saturday. We're supposed to play in Milan. And right now they're up in the air whether we will play or not. So this might be a silly question, but obviously rugby, soccer slash football, uh, mm-hmm. both bigger sports in Italy than American football. Why are they letting y'all practice and not anyone else? Well, that's the thing. Even if you look at the Serie A teams, um, like, you know, Parma is actually in Serie A. So, like, they're looking at how to – teams are, teams like that are able to practice right now. They just do – like, some of the games they're, like, thinking about just having the game with no fans or, you know, trying to maybe suspend it and play at a different – they're trying to find different ways to schedule everything. So, everything's just – it's kind of crazy. Everything's just up in the air. I mean, if you are sick here, you're not supposed to go to the emergency room right now. You're supposed to call um, the emergency room and they send like a team or a doctor to come check you instead of you walking in. Whoa. That, yeah. that I, like, how do you, I mean, how do you deal with that? Because you're, <laughs> even though you're kind of Italian these days, like yeah. you're still, you're still thousands of miles away from home. I mean, it's for me, I, I guess I'm just, I don't know what the word would be. I just kind of continue to live my life. I go to the grocery store. I go 
do whatever the things I need to do. I just make sure that I wash my hands and that I stay, you know, try to uh, keep my distance from certain things, I guess. I don't really, I don't really try to let it affect me too much. And so I guess some people are like me. Some people are very, I guess, timid when it comes to what's going on in the world. So I don't know. I just, I live and whatever happens, I guess will happen towards me. (laughs) Was there any, you know, obviously this wasn't going on quite as heavily when you went over to Italy, I guess was what last week. Like, yeah. Was there any talk or concern for you even going over there period where you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to cancel this trip and like, I'll come help out (laughs) later or. Did not cross my mind one time. (laughs) Like I didn't even think about it. Obviously we had all heard of the coronavirus and all of that, but I think the first, um, I guess the first case in Italy happened on Saturday or maybe Friday when I landed. So yeah, it just wasn't, I think in the last five days, six days, there's like up to 150 cases or something going on here. So it's been a bit of a widespread panic, but they're actively seeking, it's quote unquote, the patient zero right now. So obviously more cases are going to be diagnosed when you're actively seeking out people to find out what's going on. Did you? I mean, how's your family feel about it in Georgia? Are they, were they like, wait, come um, home? Or were they like, don't go? No, my did they not care? told me to be careful. <laughs> yeah, just be careful. Call us if you feel bad. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, I haven't lived at home or, you know, really been home. I've been traveling, especially since I finished my career. I've traveled all over the world. So um, my mom and dad, they're just kind of be careful. But plus, I mean, you got to realize, like, I'm here with, my second family, you know, I have a lot of people that care about me. I mean, I have realistically, I have my girlfriend and her mom and her family. Like I have quote unquote family here. So I'm not alone. I'm not in any kind of danger. I mean, like, I mean, I guess as much danger as everyone else, but I mean, I'm very comfortable with being here and all that. So this is what year three in Italy for you, year four that you've kind of spent a decent chunk of time in the country. Yeah. So I played in 2017. So I was here for five months that year. And then I came back for the following year in 18 for five months. Um, and then obviously I've visited off and on since then. So um, this is the longest that I, I'm only staying a month right now. So I'm going, coming home, uh, in March for a few weeks, just because of, I have, uh, you know, some stuff going on at home that I need to be back for. But uh, this is the longest stretch that I've been in Italy in, I guess, almost two years. So it's good to be back and actually kind of set up like, quote unquote, some roots again, um, you know, and start practicing the language again, because obviously, uh, I've lost a bit of it. But, you know, after being here a few days, I've definitely I still don't speak very well, but I, I definitely understand a lot of what people are saying. So uh, for people who don't know, I, like I wrote about you playing in Italy, I guess it was what, has it been three years since I it wrote about that? It'd been, I think it had been 2018. Okay. So two, so two years since like I wrote about that. What, now that you've been retired for a year and a half, two years, what 
Like, what do you look back on that experience in Italy playing that maybe stands out the most, especially since maybe you're, since you're back working with them as a coach? Like, what stands out when you look back at that? Uh, just kind of reemerging the love of the game because, you know, in college and the NFL, it becomes a business. It's not that you don't love the game or it's your job. It's, you know, you're doing it for a paycheck. You're doing it to provide and, you know, you can be cut and you can be released and you can move around and chase the dream. And it becomes not why you played it at, you know, as old, 10 years old, why you played it in high school. It becomes a little bit different feeling and getting back to this, it brings you back to the pure joy side of it. Um, it's not your profession. It's not, which I guess being the American player kind of is your profession because you are quote unquote the professional, but it's, you know, you meet a group of guys and the biggest, the best experience is the fact that I was able to relate to a different, to guys of a different culture, different background, different language, all because of sport. And so that was probably my biggest takeaway that I was able to create this experience with guys all because we were we we loved the same sport and here we are we're we grew up thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away from each other with a totally different background totally completely different experiences in life and here we are together because of the sport of football you know that was that's probably the coolest part of playing over here did you to go back to what we were talking about for, for one second, did you ever think about moving full time? And like, like you said, when, when your former coach left, maybe saying, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm good. I'm going to do this full time. I'm just going to move over here. My girlfriend has a job in Milan. Like, yeah. Um, I would love to be able to live. And I've actually been working, doing some different things as far as work. I've been working in, trying to set up this, uh, do some digital marketing and do stuff that you can do remotely. Now I've been working on that, um, a bit. And so I'm trying to set it up to where that could be a possibility. It could be a reality that we could, you know, live wherever, you know, wherever one of us wanted to be, because obviously, you know, my girlfriend and I come from different backgrounds, you know, she, you know, if whether we were in Atlanta where I live or Paris or Milan or, you know, New York, it doesn't matter wherever we could live. That would be fantastic for us to be able to set some, I guess, set some roots somewhere together, wherever that may be. So when you started playing there, I remember when we talked about this, I, I just want to like refresh this story for people who, who maybe don't remember it from a couple of years ago. There's a book by John Grisham called Playing for Parma, which you basically lived other than being a receiver <laughs> instead of a quarterback. Yeah. Matthew Stafford gave you that book, correct? Am I yeah, remembering that Matthew, right? Matthew, um, in 2012, uh, when I first got to Detroit, Matthew's kind of an avid reader. He's, you know, very, you know, Matthew does a lot of things that not many people would would expect out of him cooking, different different things to his mind works completely differently than most people. But he had read that book just kind of in his free time. And when I was there in 2012, he passed me, passed the book along to me and I read it and loved it. But then, you know, five years later, four years later, however long it was after that, I get a 
a message from Ugo Bonvicini and he was talking about Parma Panthers and I was like, why do I know the Parma Panthers? And lo and behold, it was from the book and I guess it all clicked for me and I was like, wow, I've read that book years ago and here it is, the guy that's in the acknowledgements that showed John Grisham around the city is sending me messages now trying to recruit me over. <laughs> do you like immediately text or, or call Matthew at that point and say, hey, so by the way, like remember that book five years ago like that's me now (laughs) i talked to him and uh sean chappis because we all three read the book when we were playing for detroit um we kind of passed it between at first and i think i read it and sean and sean read the book uh as well so you know it's uh it's a bit of a crazy coincidence i guess so when you i'm kind of working backwards here like (laughs) when you choose to go over there, like, do you just figure your NFL career is done at that point? Like, are you doing it just like, maybe I'll do this for a year to stay in shape? Like, oh, do you I'm, even want to play anymore? No, I mean, obviously you'd want to play in the NFL if they came calling, but no, I knew after 2015, when I did not get, I got cut in Oakland after the end of preseason and, um, I had a few feelers put out there, like, especially I think Des Bryant got hurt. And so Dallas called me and then they traded for Bryce Butler and then somebody else called and all that stuff. And so nothing ever transpired with me re-signing with the team. Um, and I kind of knew at that point that it was pretty much over for me. And I got an offer to go to Canada at probably around April, May of 2016 so you know after i worked out through the season through december and then about april or may i had a call from one of the teams up in canada to come and play and i turned them down just because i knew that it would never send me to back to the nfl it was just going to be you know i was 20 how old was i 27 28 at the time so i just knew that it was just gonna be a long journey so i turned them down wanted to travel so i was traveling around the world went to europe Next thing you know, six months later, after I'd already turned down Canada, Italy comes calling. And instead of playing for, you know, a decent, like a pretty good salary in Canada, I played for some pizza over here in Parma. Loved every minute of it. So, like you said, you've mentioned a couple of times you traveled around the world. Where's the most interesting place you think you've gone? Where do you still want to go? Like, what's that uh, list look like for you? You and I have talked about travel a ton because I go abroad yeah. every year. Like, what's that for yeah, you? Um, you know, I've, I loved Vietnam. It's probably one of my favorite places I've ever been in the world. Uh, it was just an incredible experience because I started up in the north and worked my way down south. Um, you know, trains, planes, you know, did, it was on the beach, you know, and then that my, my entire, I spent like a month and a half for two months traveling through like Southeast Asia and then ended up over in Japan and China and Cambodia, Thailand, Bali, all of, all of those little places. And so that was one of my favorite trips. And I've done Europe all over Europe and, you know, a few places. Um, I would say Vietnam's probably been one of my favorite places overall. I'm definitely to Italy because I keep coming back for many reasons. I just love it here. But uh, places that I want to go, I'd like to go on a safari at some point. So somewhere in Africa, I would like to go somewhere where I could go to a safari or 
Antarctica. I'd like to at least touch, I want to touch every continent. That's something that I want to do. So I need, that's one, that's one of my goals. I would say I'm right here. I'm right there with you. I'm at four of seven right now. I have just South America, Africa, and Antarctica to go. And Antarctica is high, high on my bucket list. I, my friends are sick of me hearing He's sick of hearing me talk about how I'm planning on going to Antarctica at some point in the next couple of years. What you, is it you that could, you could knock out South America and Antarctica all at one time? You could go down where, like, take a cruise from Chile or somewhere and head over. I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't looked at it and that it doesn't cost between five and nine thousand dollars to do. Uh, not that I would know about that at all. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah, I've never checked out the cost on it, but yeah, I mean, it, it ain't cheap, man. <laughs> no, I mean, nor would you think it would be because you're going to a place where there are no, I guess, quote unquote, no real resources as far as food and stuff. Um, but I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it'd be, I'm just curious to see it, touch it, be there, and say that I've been there because I've done Africa, I've been to Morocco. Um, I went and spent the night in the Sahara Desert, um, rode a camel in there, did camped out, did all that good stuff. So that was a pretty cool experience. What was that like? Like, what was that night like? Like when you're camping in the Sahara Desert? Oh, it's like- it's wild. Like the group, like that I went with, they, uh, you know, because we obviously had someone who like was I guess a tour guide that took us out into the middle of the desert and they like had us set up and they played music and cooked and everything else. I think there's probably like 10 people total in the little group that I went out in. And it was, yeah, it was a cool, really cool experience. I mean, it does get cold in the desert at night. Um, you know, you have to be covered because the sun is bright and hot, but it was, um, they had like a little, like a little snowboard that you could, you know, kind of go down the side of the dunes and everything else. And watching the sunrise and set was just incredible. It was beautiful. You could see incredible amount of stars out just because it was a clear night. It's worth, it's worth the trip if you ever had the opportunity to do it. No, it's, that's on my list too. But my list is long, man. You've been to probably like twice as many countries as I have as, as we've talked about. <laughs> what? For you, like how much football, like you said, you worked at the league office for a minute and I'm guessing that yep. was maybe NFL league office. What did you do there? And like, how much football do you watch now? So I actually did what they called the legends um, internship. So the legends department, uh, or the legends community is the former players. Uh, so what it was, was in six months, internship in the New York office. And I worked with uh, Tracy Perlman who heads up the player marketing and communications. So she does all of the current and former player marketing. She's the one that basically someone writes the script for the NFL commercial for the Super Bowl. She goes and gets the players that they want and does all the negotiations with the you know with the agents and the, gets the players. She has an incredible relationship with you know, individual players with agencies and she is a brilliant mind and it was a fantastic opportunity just because her group works incredibly hard and they work extremely well together. They're a team. Um, so I really enjoyed doing that. And so my role when I was there was actually with the, uh, 
former players. I kind of headed up and helped get started with the uh, Legends community. Um, some of the benefits that they have, letting guys know how to access those and what the benefits are as far as whether it's health or if you want NFL Sunday ticket or if you want to go back to school, how to, who to talk to and how to access different things of that nature. What was the weirdest request maybe you got in your six months? Oh man, you get all kinds of weird stuff. Guys, a lot of guys call in and complain about a lot of different things. And of course, um, the best is when they have no idea who I am and they're like, you just don't understand what it's like in my body. And I'm like, yeah, well, actually I, I do have some sense of what you're going through, my man. I, and I wish it was different, but this is what, what the healthcare situation is right now. This is how you can benefit from this and that. And, um, Tracy and them, I mean, I know they're not involved with, I guess, kind of the negotiations with the PA and all of that stuff, but she does a great job at making sure that, guys have access to all of these benefits every single place that she goes to every team she sends a representative from her group to go do what they call like a round table or a lunch and learn or whatever that may be so that like the former players um in those cities and different events tentpole events whether it's this combine or whatever they do lounges for guys to come and learn about these different benefits and how to access them i mean even down to like discounts or highlight videos from when you played like she tries to take care of every little thing that she possibly can to help these guys out whether you played one down in the nfl or you were a 20-year vet like she she is the same with everyone did you almost did you want to stay with that after the six months was over or was that not an option or i would have loved to um the role that i was in is obviously an internship so it's mainly dedicated for the end of the season playoffs, especially like Pro Bowl, Super Bowl, draft, combine, um, all of that. So that's why it goes for that six months because they need an extra hand during that particular time. Um, you know, I loved it. Uh, I've actually been in contact with the league office a little bit recently because they have been looking into developing international football and football development internationally um, to grow the brand and everything else. So I have had some communication and that's one reason why I did go down to Bradenton to help with uh, Will, just because they do need all hands on deck. And that's, you know, that's where my passion really is, is trying to make sure that anyone and everyone that plays this game does have the, opportunity to be you know to experience the same things that i experienced i would love for the game to continue to develop and see guys from europe australia china you know south america wherever you're from to have the same opportunities to play college football to have the same opportunities to play in the nfl so that's why i love things like the uk academy the nfl international pathway program stuff like that's very near and dear to me do you think that i mean the game will grow enough where that maybe they don't need a program anymore. And it just happens. Like I know they have the international combine as well. Yes. Like how, how far away do you think that things are maybe from that being a reality versus needing the international combine, needing the pathways program, needing the UK Academy. Uh, it's to sustain. Honestly, I think right now it's, it's going to take a while. Um, 
just because the like you're gonna find guys just like they've found you know fa in carolina he's you know he's playing and doing well you got jordan mylata i think it's how you pronounce his last name is in philly i mean you do have guys that are playing and that are on practice squads like Jakob was with the Patriots last year and he was on the team before he went to IR and then you know you have different guys that are you know Christian Wade last year with Buffalo his first carry goes like 64 yards for a touchdown and that's his first ever career game because he was a rugby player and you're seeing a lot of talent and crossover and guys are have the ability it's just that they don't have the same access to whether it's coaching, training, there's a lot of different things um, that are not up to par with the U.S. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some organic development within the different cultures and growing the game that way, whether it's through media, social media, um, whatever it may be. But just me being here for, you know, now, I guess, off and on for the last three, four years. Yeah, it's about three years now. Um, you can see a difference with the amount of fans, amount of fandom that you have, and also with just seeing merchandise and other things and just support. It's definitely grown. So, you know, we're in the rights, and whether it's social media that's promoting it or whatever it is, we're in the we're on the right track. It just it's going to take a little while before we're able to, I guess quote unquote, do away with like the international pathway program and stuff like that there, because there's still a lot of development that needs to happen. Do you think that a team could sustain itself in, I mean, obviously the conversation is, is London, London? but yeah. Like, do you think that that's realistic? Like, do you think that that's plausible because you played in the NFL, you actually played, if I remember correctly, you were still on the Lions when they played in London in 14. No, 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 no. I, got, I got released earlier Sorry. that year. My fault. <laughs> I missed it. Yeah, I, I missed was going to say, it all, it all blends together, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it does. Yeah, yeah um, but do you think that it can be sustainable either there or maybe even in, in like a Berlin or something like that? Well, I mean, Germany's obviously, Germany and the UK have very big fan bases. Uh, Germany has probably the best European league, the GFL, the first division has an incredible amount of support. And some of the teams in that league, two or three of them have million dollar budgets, which is unheard of in European football. Um, but you also have a lot of uh, NFL Europe. You also had, that was the last little part was the teams in Germany. But as far as holding an NFL team in say London, I think the difficult issue would be, as crazy as it sounds, I think they would have the fans to support the team, but you would also need to have a presence in, you know, like say it was Jacksonville, they would need to have that facility in Jacksonville up and running and have people there because you do have the Tuesday workouts, you do have different things going on. And then you, I think you need visas to live there. You need, like, there's a lot of things outside of just, hey, are we going to have fans? Hey, can guys live here? Like there's a lot of different things besides logistics that are going to go in. Like what's the taxes? What's this? What's that? Like how about guys that find housing? Like where are they going to stay? What if you're a practice squad guy? Like there's a lot of logistics and a lot of other things that, are, that go into that besides just could, you know, a team actually be supported in London. In my opinion, I don't have any idea, but that's what I would think.
So I want to get a little bit into your NFL career and your time with the Lions. What stands out to you from that time? Because, I mean, you've got to play with one of your best friends, actually mm-hmm. a couple of them. Like, what was that yeah. like looking back a half decade, more than a half decade now? Yeah, I guess my last year there was preseason 2014. So, yeah, it's been, you know, five, six, yeah, six, five, six years, whatever it's been. Um no, I mean, it stands out the fact that I got to play across from one of the best to ever do it in Calvin. Uh, I got to spend time in the huddle and outside and just growth in life with Matthew. You know, I've known, I've known him since we were, you know, 16, 15, 16 years old. And so just growing with him, like as a man, also growing as far as like, a football player was pretty cool to see you know us going into different roles in our lives and everything else that was very interesting and then having Sean there who was our other roommate that was also an incredible time and it's just you know meeting the guys and experiencing a city like Detroit was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life I love Detroit I love being in that city just because of the way the fans are and the way that the people are I mean they're as blue collar as it gets and they're just they support us even when we had bad seasons or bad games they supported us through thick and thin and I never had a bad experience with a fan I mean they were always always there always loud always ready and so that's the things that I take away I mean yeah you think of wins and losses and different things like that right there but just the experience of living there and being there and being accepted as one of their own was really cool like you mentioned, you got to know Matthew Stafford first when you were 16 years old. What do you remember, like how you met him, what that was like, and kind of how y'all became tight? Um, so I met Matthew. I think maybe in the spring game when we were like juniors in uh, high school. I met him when he came on like a junior day, spring game, whatever the case may be. I met him there, and then I really got to know him. You know, like, we, we like, exchanged numbers and text a few times. But then on his official visit to Georgia after he was already committed, um, I was at the game, and it was actually – I was sitting there with him, and Demarius Thomas was there on the visit, and um, – David Osbury, who went to USC and then played with Oakland for a little bit. We were all, we were all four. And Sean Chappis was actually there as well. And we were all like sitting there. And I can't remember if it was like the Auburn game or what it was, but that's where I really got to know him. And then obviously we enrolled early into Georgia and spent a lot of time as roommates there before he went pro. And then I followed him a few years later. So when that happens, like, do you realize right away, like at that, game whether it was against you know Auburn or whoever it was like that y'all are going to be close at that point or does that not happen really until yeah I mean get we, to Georgia? no we knew that we were actually going to be roommates pretty early on um he uh you know I, everyone knew who he was just because he was the number one recruit in the country and always had that kind of status plus he's the quarterback that's coming in um so everyone knew who he was but you know, we really hit it off, you know, first first few weeks and just I got to know him real well and he brought a few guys in from Texas a few weeks later and we all, you know, which are 
he brought his one of his best friends, Pan, um, Pantley. Um, he's actually Pan is one of my one of my best friends to this day. And I met him through Matthew and they went to high school together and grew up together. And so it's crazy how everything just kind of mingles up and everyone gets to know one another and you just become friends with their friends. And then now like, I, you know, it's one of my best friends. So, you know, we, we knew kind of immediately, or at least I did like that. We, we got along great and spent a lot of good time together. You know, eventually I got to stand next to him when him and Kelly said, I do. you know got to be around their kids and everything else what was that what was that experience like because obviously his wedding got a lot of attention in detroit uh even though it wasn't here like (laughs) what what was that like well because like you said you had known him at that point you'd known kelly that point for almost a decade and you know matthew for more than that yeah i actually um so kelly i knew kelly's knew of kelly's brother Cause we played against each other when I was a sophomore in high Chad, school. Chad, right? Yeah. So yeah, okay. Chad and I, I've known Chad since I was 15 years old. Um, and so we played against each other in high school. And so, and then I met Kelly probably like her first week on campus. Um, she was friends with who now is Sean's wife. They, they went to the same high school together and they were best friends and everything else. And so like I met Kelly kind of immediately when she got on campus and then I knew them separately before they started dating. And then obviously I've known them together. So it's been a really cool experience just watching them grow and seeing the relationship, how much it's developed, how much it's grown from when they first met each other to now. It's just incredible just to see how how great they are together. So I'm just going to ask this question. Are you the one that introduced them? No, actually, I think it, I think it was Fred Munzenmeyer, our fourth roommate, Sean, Matthew and I's fourth roommate, because uh, Fred grew up in the same town as um, Sean's wife, Alice, Allie, and then... Um, uh, Matthew's wife, Kelly, they all grew up together and they went to middle school together. So I think it was actually Fred that introduced them. Okay. Be because I was just saying, you could have taken credit for that and like only five yeah, people would yeah, know. No, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll give Fred, I'll give Freddie the credit. I'm pretty sure it was Fred. <laughs> What's it like? I mean, when you watch games now, you're obviously kind of like an informed fan slash former player. What's it like when you watch Matthew play now and, and some of the other guys that you still might know? Uh, generally speaking, I kind of only watch, I got definitely set like a schedule to the Lions games when Matthew plays. Like that's, I watch every game that he's playing in for sure. Um, other than that, I'm just kind of a general fan. I watch guys and support guys that I know more than I do teams. Um, the only team I actually root for is the Lions because of Matthew. But even though, you know, they fired me, uh, you know, I'll still support the guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, I just like watching the game. I'm a fan of the game. I'm a fan of the history of the game. It doesn't matter if it's the XFL's on or <clears throat> high school football, college football. It doesn't matter. I'll watch any football that's on. I, I enjoy watching. So what do you, how, what do you think of Matthew's progression in the last few years? Obviously he was playing really well up until his back got hurt again. Like, is that well, maybe the best you've seen him play or? 
Um, I mean, yeah, his numbers were, can speak for themselves as far as his accuracy, TD intercept, interception ratios, like whatever stat you want to pull out. Obviously, you can see the progression. You can see the leadership is definitely increased and in just hearing guys that I know the way he, he responds, everybody respects him. The hardest part for me is that he doesn't get he doesn't get the acknowledgement that he should for as good as he is. Um, everyone always points to the playoff thing or this or that. And the fact is, is that to me he's top tier guy regardless. And I know I'm you can say I'm biased and that's fine, but his toughness, his arm strength, his knowledge of the game is I would stack that up against anybody in the league, without a doubt. He he is as good or better than everyone in the league when it comes to intelligence, toughness, arm strength, and all of that. Um, so, I mean, uh, I just, you know, I hope that one day everything works out well for him as far as getting the right right team with a surrounding him and he's able to lead Detroit to a Super Bowl. That's That's what I would like to see. Does he ever talk about that? No, I mean, when I talk to Matthew now, it's never really about football. It's just about life. Um, you know, of course, it gets mentioned. But as far as, like, what he wants or what he doesn't want or any of that, it's there's never really any conversation with him about that. It's really honestly about – because we don't get to see each other very often. It's generally about, hey, how's Kelly and the girls? How are you physically, mentally? Like, what's going on in life? He asked me what's going on with mine, that sort of stuff. Cause we don't talk quite as much as we used to just because life does get in the way. I mean, you know, he's in Detroit half the year and the other half he's busy raising his girls and spending time with his, you know, his wife and family. So, you know, we see each other. And uh, last week um, we were supposed to get together, but I was actually already had my trip booked to come here, but we we're all supposed to go meet up um, and, Unfortunately, I didn't get to go. It would have been good to see see all of them. Because I, I don't think I've seen him in a while. I don't think I've seen him in about a year. Really? Yeah, it's been probably about a year since I've seen him. Um, well, I'll take that back. Last Before he left to go to, uh, to, go to um, Detroit for preseason, that's the last time I saw him. So I guess, yeah. Well, I guess it's been March, yeah, since last season. I didn't come up for a game in Detroit this past year just because they were they're busy with the girls and everything else, and I was busy as well working and doing my thing. So I still talk to them from time to time. Talk to Kelly probably about as much as I talk to Matthew, if not more. Really? So yeah. like, what, what's your favorite – like we've talked a little bit about, a bit about the Lions. Like what's your favorite Lions memory for you from the, the couple of years you were here? Um – Personally or team-wise? Personally. Uh, just personally, my biggest memory, um, you know, obviously the playing in Green Bay and having a big catch and then the Dallas moment where we drove down the field, Matthew jumped over the guy, um, the, Dolph, or the defensive line and scored and then rushed in. That was a pretty cool moment. Um, Another really cool one was when we played one, uh, I don't remember if it was 2012, maybe in 2012, where we played like that afternoon and then that night was like game 
series and we got to go to granted the Tigers unfortunately lost against I think it was San Francisco but that was that was a really cool thing like stuff like that and getting to spend time and learn from guys like Calvin those there's things that you just can never explain or take away from me you know you know getting to spend time with like guys like Nate Burleson you know learning from him he's a little bit of a renaissance man and learning from Calvin spending time in the meeting room with Dan and Matthew and Kellen and like I mean that quarterback room think about how intelligent they are offensively that having like those three guys together you know stuff like that right there it was it was pretty incredible do, do you talk to many of those guys anymore is it pretty much just Matthew and maybe you know, I've occasionally I'll I talk to Dan because it might be like a group chat or something like that right there um and also he's represented by a good friend of ours David Coonan um is his agent so I keep up with Dan and what's going on with him um Kellen I actually saw uh last year uh you know so I spent probably a good hour or so talking with him so that was that was pretty cool um but I mean as you know as everyone knows like everyone's starting to get older they start having families you know your time gets crunched from friends that go straight to family and kids when Kellen was playing for the Lions and when those couple years you were with him like did y'all see this future for him basically oh yeah for sure I mean (laughs) without a doubt Kellen Kellen, if one thing, Kellen understood his abilities and he understood his limitations. He was intelligent enough to know that his arm may have not been the strongest, but he was smart in the sense that he could read a coverage quicker than anyone I've ever seen. And he would let that ball go trusting that you were going to get open and be where you needed to be. Was he something that, like, did you think he'll, do you think he'll be a head coach one day? Is that plausible does he have the personality for that i think kellen will be a head coach within the next three years to be honest two to three years i think he'll be a head coach wow yeah that what is it just that intelligence that you think is there you think it's the dallas thing that helps out or i think it's just kellen is a man he's as smart as it gets when it comes to offenses and he's i think just Kellen in general, just having a conversation with him, he's going to impress anyone and everyone that has a football conversation with him. And he's just a good guy, a very likable guy. He's pretty, I mean, at least this was publicly, he seemed really quiet. Yeah, he is quiet. Um, But, you know, you don't have to be a big personality to be a head coach. You just have to be able to lead a team. And I think Kellen is a natural leader. And whether it's and whether it's what people see on the outside, which granted, being a head coach, there's a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of different microscopes put onto you. But I think that he handles himself and speaks well enough. And I, you know, he's. I don't think it's something that he's going to shy away from. And obviously, he's being groomed right now by, you know, by Jason Garrett. And now he's with um, who's it? McCarthy's down there um, in Dallas. So, you know, I think he's definitely going to have the opportunity to be a head coach very soon. So for you, what's next? Uh, you know, that's – I'm still just uh, working on figuring that stuff out. I've, I mean, I mentioned it earlier. I've been working – I'm back in school getting an MBA, and I'm focusing on different business opportunities. Um, 
still have a few real estate holdings that I've been doing. I'm not Ryan Broyles by any means, but I, I've got a few of those out there. And then, uh, you know, I've got uh, doing some digital marketing and learning on that. Uh, also, you know, I've been in contact with the NFL about the international development and stuff like that right there. So I got a few irons in the fire, but, you know, right now I'm just, honestly, I'm just trying to figure it out. I mean, I enjoy being in Europe. I enjoy being in Italy. Uh, so depending on how the, how a few things that I have working for me and people that I've met and been talking to, depending on how that goes, who knows where I'll be. Um, depends on where the girlfriend, uh, you know, depends on where we decide that we would like to be, you know. I was going to say, you mentioned obviously the NFL yeah. and the international. We talked a bit about it, you know, earlier in the show. Is that a real path? Like, could you end up being like an international ambassador with the league? Is that, is that even a job that exists? Um, it's not really a job that exists. They obviously have an international department. They obviously have a London office. Um, even if it was some kind of consulting or even like I did recently where it was just kind of on my own free will, uh, just going in because it's where my passion lies. Like, I truly, truly believe in that program and um, just being over here and witnessing it and just seeing it and then seeing the guys that are in the program now and how they're progressing. It's something that I love and that I want to be a part of in any, you know, any facet, like I, whatever I can do to help um, kind of mentality for me. So, you know, we'll see where that could lead to and maybe in the future it will lead to an opportunity to, help out and be more involved with that i mean but right now i've been able to help scout guys in europe and help uh talk to what the guys that are there right now the nine guys that are currently fighting for those four spots i've been able to scout them and watch them and speak with them and try to help get them to uh mentally and let them know what they're going to be going through here shortly when they uh finish up the training and they get to a training camp or rookie mini camp or practice squad because I've been able to live that roller coaster of practice squad, active roster, being cut, and all in between. I think for people who don't understand, and maybe we'll finish on this, what is that really like, that roller coaster? Because I mean, if you're in the league or you cover the league, like you kind of get it. But unless you've lived it, I imagine you would have no real clue. No, I mean, it's hard to like you can tell people what you're really going through and you can comprehend like oh yeah like i can understand you know how crazy that is but it, you don't get it till you live it um unfortunately but it's you know like i in detroit like just for example i played the last preseason game on thursday night practiced friday friday night i flew home to check on my house in Atlanta and Saturday morning I was sitting in Atlanta like watching the Georgia football game on TV and I get a phone call and they're like hey we may release you where are you and I was like well I'm at home they're like well when are you coming back it's like Sunday so they're like okay we'll come by and speak to us on Sunday and so Sunday I fly back to Detroit I walk into the office and uh Martin was busy so they told me to come back like 
an hour later. So I went home and just started packing up my stuff because I kind of already knew they were going to release me. And as I'm walking back into the office, he graduation headed to Tennessee. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so that, so the morning I flew from, so I played Thursday night, practice Friday, was in Detroit on, flew to Detroit on Sunday just to get in my car and drive to knock, uh, to Nashville, Tennessee. Monday morning at 6 a.m., I'm getting a physical, and by 9 a.m., I'm on the practice field in Tennessee. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. I mean, I played a game on Thursday night in Detroit, and by Monday morning, I'm practicing in Tennessee with the Titans. When you fly home, like, do you think you're maybe going to get – because I, I remember that, like, we talked that week. Do you think that you're maybe getting cut? Like, or do you go home kind of saying, I'm good, and then that call comes um, out of nowhere? There's always this possibility. Um, I thought I had, uh, honestly, to be transparent with you, the year before in 2013, I thought I was getting cut. And I was not shocked that I made the team out of camp, but I was kind of like, you know, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I was, I knew I was on the fence. Um, 2014, I thought that I, played and practiced well enough to where I made the team. Um, so I was a little more shocked when they called me. I knew, obviously knew there was a possibility because we had signed Golden. Um, we had Ross as our returner. They liked Ryan and Ogletree and they liked um, Corey Fuller. So I knew they liked them and I knew that out of us four, that there was only gonna be three slots available but I thought I'd outperformed the other guys. And obviously the team felt differently. So they let me go. It's just part of the nature of the game. They felt like one of those guys was a better fit for the offense or for special teams or whatever the case may be than I was. So that's what happened. Is that something that when that happens, like, are you, because you're still, you know, you're seven years younger at that point or six yeah. years younger, like, do you like, is your first call to like family? Like, do you not talk to anybody? No, I just, I mean, I'd already been through it with Detroit, uh, with uh, Seattle. Seattle hurt worse because I've never been cut from anything in my life. So that one was a little, that one was more difficult just because I didn't, in the preseason, I didn't get the opportunity to actually perform. Um, they didn't, they were trying to hide me, I guess, so to speak, so that I could stash me on the practice squad and I left and came to Detroit instead. But um, they threw like one pass to me. So that one hurt more. But in Detroit, it was just, you know, I just called my mom and dad and was like, hey, like I just got released. But Detroit, because I have practice squad eligibility, is offering my salary. Philly's called, like, you know, Seattle's called me to come back. Like, and I already had options available. So, you know, it wasn't as big of a deal, I guess. It was just kind of a, not really anger. It was just kind of, it sucks. Like it's part of the business and you have to literally start breaking leases and like worrying about moving, but then you got to go worry about now when I got to Tennessee, now I've just broke a lease in Detroit. I have my mortgage in Atlanta and then I turn around and I have to go find an apartment in uh in Tennessee while I'm trying to learn a new playbook and it's just a big whirlwind 
as you say, better than it being like San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York from like a cost perspective. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like realistically. Yeah, I mean that's true. It's all relative. I mean, you know, you got to find a place, and hopefully, it's furnished. And then you also got to think like, all right, what if I'm here for three weeks and I get cut again? Like, how much is that going to cost? You know, and it's just it's just part of it. I mean, there was a guy that was in Tennessee with me that I played with in college. He got there and he was cut after the first week. <laughs> he had just signed a release on his apartment and they cut him like the day after. He'd been in the, he'd been in there for one night. Oh wow, that's that's just horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's just the nature of what happens, you know. I just want to go back to one thing that you just said. So, if Tennessee had not claimed you, would you have gone back to Detroit on the practice squad and they were going to get they were going to give you what? Close to no, they were going to pay me my salary, but the thing was is that they honestly told me that I would be back on active roster by week two or three, is what they told me. Um, then Seattle was going to do the same thing. They were going to bring me back. Philly, Philly was willing to actually like bring me back and basically do whatever it took to get me there. Um, uh, it was kind of crazy. So my heart wanted to be in Detroit because that's where I was comfortable. That's where I loved being. Um, my competitive side wanted to go back to Seattle and prove them wrong for getting rid of me in the first place. Uh, so that was kind of where that was. And then my head was telling me the smartest move was to go to Philly. And then all of a sudden I get, I walk into Martin's office and he goes, congratulations, you're headed to Tennessee. <laughs> Were you kind of pissed? Because I mean, like no, those I seem mean, like those seem like good options for elongating your career versus like I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, and then all of a sudden, I was like, I was kind of mad about the fact not going to Nashville because it's a wonderful city, or going to the Titans organization. It was more so that hey, I left my house this morning at five thirty to get on a flight to come to Detroit so that I can drive now eight hours to Nashville instead of driving three and a half from Atlanta up to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually sucks. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, instead of having like a three-hour trip from Atlanta to Nashville, I flew two hours to Detroit just to wait around for like six hours to be told that I was going to Tennessee to get in a car and drive for eight and getting there at midnight. <laughs> and then having to practice the next day and get a yep, physical and then, then having to practice and – um, we went from like a number system with like Detroit, uh, like the routes were, could be numbers based and like, it could be like 525 is like a route concept and going to Tennessee, it was like 525 could be a blocking scheme. And so it was really mentally, really messed with you. But I had the same receiver coach that I had from Detroit, Sean Jefferson. That's how I got there. Okay, so it was Sean who basically stood up for you? Him and a guy named Charlie Whitehurst. I think people know who Charlie Whitehurst is. Yeah, well, so I played with Charlie in Seattle, and Charlie was in Tennessee at the time, and he had been with um, Wisenhunt in San Diego. So Charlie, like when Wisenhunt asked him about me, Charlie stood up and kind of gave him the go-ahead for me. And then Charlie actually texted me and told me that because I think we're going to claim you. Were you like, okay? Or were you like, are you sure? Or like, 
Were you like, don't? And I was like, like <laughs> no, I said, all right, sounds good to me. I, I'd love to come to Nashville. Nashville's a great city. It's two hours from my house and uh, where I grew up. So my parents could be at every game. This would be perfect. Yeah. And plus, I mean, you can't, there's not many better cities like food, music, and just outside of football being in Nashville. Oh, I would, I would absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed that very much. So, Chris, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was a pleasure having you. And, uh, yeah hopefully have you on again uh soon maybe uh yeah. maybe if parma ends up in the italian league title game Enti- they got the super bowl <clears throat> so there we go it's actually the weekend of july 4th go on america <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah it's kind of depressing though i'm telling you like you're here for july 4th and you're like oh yeah where's the fireworks and the burgers and the beers and all that and like it's a normal day here. Like everyone like gets up and goes to work and no one cares. It's like, what? but you can uh, celebrate with like pasta and wine and like gelato. Like that sounds better to me. It's not the same. I can have that every day. <laughs> like that's what I had. Like that's what I had this afternoon. I went over to my girlfriend's house and her mom made us lunch and it was like pasta and like Parmesan cheese and like this white pasta and that's obviously incredible and I'm just like this is literally life for me every day like I'd get fed these incredible homemade meals and like she was making ragu like homemade ragu while I was like sitting there I was like god it smells incredible in here <laughs> man now you've made, now you've made me hungry oh yeah that's, that's the way life is over here I've, I've enjoyed I eat I eat Eat healthy and I uh, drink my fair share of red wine. That's pretty much what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thanks again for coming out, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Come on down to Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 South main street in ann arbor michigan check out some of the food specials including some gluten-free options and drink specials as well you can also play ski ball for free along with darts and even trivia on monday nights for more information check out facebook instagram and twitter at regents field now back to our show Thanks, as always, to Chris for coming on the show. And we're going to close this week while not doing a full pod bag. That may come on Thursday's show as we start to turn toward free agency. But I wanted to take a couple of your questions before we wrapped up. To ask a future pod bag question, use the hashtag Rothschild on Twitter. Or hit me up on our Facebook group, The Michael Rothstein Show, and come and join the party. Now on to your questions. Eric, who's at ericl 13 asks, I am now 100% convinced the Lions should draft Tua unless someone blows them away with a trade. Two ones and two twos minimum. Lions aren't winning anything anytime soon. Blow it up and start over with a new, young, talented quarterback with a low salary. Thoughts? Eric, I understand your sentiment, and it's one I've heard from a few Lions supporters over the past couple of months. Here are the holes in it. First, this regime is... Not going to be in a place to blow things up anytime soon, especially not this year. Not when they have to show improvement to make sure they're even here in 2021. It's just not going to happen. Now, if this were a year from now and there was a new regime in place 
and you're talking about a similar high pick and you still have Stafford, I could 100% see that scenario unfolding. Just not this year. Not to say they don't necessarily take Tua, although I still think the chances of that are low because of other issues that they have and need to address. And to your other two points, the trade value you threw out there for a trade, to me, is unrealistic unless the Lions were dropping all the way to, say, the Colts at number 13 or maybe even deeper than that. I just can't see any team giving up quite that much to move from number five, which is Miami, number six, which is the Chargers, or number seven, which is the Panthers, to make that happen. Bob Quinn's only chance to create that type of haul back would be to create a bidding war, which is certainly possible and not out of the realm of possibility to think that all of these Matthew Stafford rumors and everything else over the past month has maybe just possibly been done to kind of create a little bit of doubt in the heads of GMs and maybe try to to push the envelope there. If Bob Quinn executed that, that would be pretty shrewd, especially because it seems like the Staffords would have been in on it as well. So I'm not sure that that's actually the case, but I mean, that is a possibility. I don't know if it's a plausible one, but sure. I mean, I guess they could have pulled that off. Other than that, the haul is just too much for what you're asking, which is two ones and two twos at minimum. Lastly, the NFL is a league built on parity, so I think Detroit has a chance to win soon. Just because it has a lot of pieces in place on offense, like Matthew Stafford, Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkinson, Kenny Galladay, Frank Ragnow, Taylor Decker. There are options there. Danny Amendola. Fix the defense for this year, which is is really what they need to focus on anyway because they have holes on all three levels. And to me, I think you've got a shot to at least be competitive in the division if you're the Lions in 2020. Sham, who's at Sham, Sham God, asks, there are two offensive linemen flying up the board during the combine, Mekhi Becton and Tristan Wirfs. What are the chances the Lions trade down and select offensive line over defense? Would you be okay with that? Sham, it's a good question. And, and just as a quick aside here, by the way, your handle, whenever I see it, and you've been a very loyal supporter of my Twitter feed and this show, and I'm appreciative of that, always reminds me of one of my favorite March Madness players ever since we're in the month of March, the irreplaceable God Sham God from Providence. I'm so happy it's March. I'm really excited for the tournament. We'll talk a little bit about that on a later podcast. But God Sham God, I can remember from my youth, uh, along with Austin Crozier, Man, those Providence teams were were surprisingly good. But I, I digress. I think it's possible, to your suggestion on offensive line, not probable, but possible, maybe if they end up trading down to the number seven range because the likelihood of one of the elite defensive players still being there at number five would be pretty high. But offensive tackle is a sneaky need for the Lions with Taylor Decker entering a contract here and Rick Wagner putting in okay but not great performances Becton and Wirfs definitely stood out at the Combine and through their play in college. And Bob Quinn loves his offensive linemen. We've seen that as he's tried to rebuild the offensive line of the Lions multiple times. So it's entirely possible. But at this point, I put it lower on my list than other probabilities, especially defensive ones. But things can change. Whether I'm okay with it or not doesn't really matter. As I've said over and over, I'm not a fan of the Lions. I cover them. That's my job. I'll be covering whatever the Lions do no matter what, and I'll write an opinion about it if and when it happens. I would just go with defense if it were purely up to me.
DC Waz, who's at DC Waz, asks, do you think the Lions should address receiver in the draft? If so, what round and what prospects? Waz, yes, I absolutely believe the Lions should go receiver at some point in this draft. It's maybe the draft's deepest position. Plus, the team's top four receivers for 2020 at this point are in contract years, although it's expected at some point Kenny Galladay will get an extension. And Detroit needs to replenish there regardless and at least build for the future somewhat to replace Danny Amendola down the line, if not more players. The good thing for Detroit is this, like I said, is a deep, deep receiver class. One of the deeper ones I can really ever remember. While Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb are great players and likely top half of the first round picks, I don't think the Lions would go there at number three or really even at number five. Or six. I think, like we were talking about before with offensive linemen, maybe if it gets to that number seven range or you drop further down, then maybe you start having that conversation because I think Judy and Lamb both are high, high level receivers. And on a personal note, I'd be really intrigued to see what would happen if Lamb would go to Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury's offense and Kyler Murray. That could be a massively problematic combination for opposing defenses for years to come if it happens. But anyway, I think day two or day three would be more of a possibility. Say if a T. Higgins, LaVisca Chanel, Justin Jefferson, KJ Hamler, or Jalen Rieger ends up being there in the second round, I could see the Lions making that move. It would make sense to me, especially if they handle certain things at number three or number five as we talked about maybe they trade to get a second first round pick and go defense defense there I could absolutely see that happening uh, same with Donovan Peoples-Jones Chase Claypool and Antonio Gandy-Golan Gandy Golden early in maybe say the third round Peoples-Jones to me is a potential overproduction prospect and all of the talent is there he just didn't really get used a ton by Michigan as probably a lot of listeners of this podcast saw over and over Claypool and Gandy Golden guys that were at the senior bowl bigger receivers and would be really enticing targets I think for Matthew Stafford the Lions also spent a lot of time with KJ Hill at the senior bowl the Ohio State product and he'd be one to pay attention to as well there are a bunch of options here we'll break them down a little bit closer to the draft and the Lions will likely find a player they want at some point during the three-day selection process in April. But all of those guys can play. All of them. And Matthew Pollock at MB Pollock asks, what convinced you that pod bag was a good word to use? We'll end on this from my old friend Matthew. It's a combination of podcast and mailbag, and to me it sounded better than mailcast or podmail. But yeah, it's still an awkward turn of phrase for sure. Uh, one at least I'm getting used to wrapping up this mini pod bag. Thanks, as always, to Blue Wire and Regions Field for supporting this podcast and my producers, David Woodley and Stephen Arkinall. You can follow my guest, Chris Durham, on Twitter at Chris Durham. That's K-R-I-S-D-U-R-H-A-M-16 and Instagram at KDurham16. You can check out my work, as always, on ESPN.com and make sure to follow on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein, along with on Facebook at the Michael Rothstein Group, where you can join, and Michael Rothstein Journalist, where you can click like, and I have all of my stories over there. Try to interact as much as possible in all of those platforms. Feel free to give us five-star reviews, and most of all, download and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Help us grow. Let me know who you want to hear from in the future. And with that, 
We'll chat with you again on Thursday.